coaching is still a huge, huge part of my life. Um, I spend more on coaching and education than I do on marketing. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. You well, know, maybe not now. They're probably close, but typically in my career I have. Yeah, I can't agree with that more, the reason to have a coach. Talk us a little bit about, about what the coaching, what coaching has done for you. So I think it just accelerates growth. You know, they've seen it already. They've done it already. I, I mean, I'm, it's very, I'm very strategic with who I choose to coach me that they have actually done, been there and done that. And they are working with other people who are doing it as well so they can give me good advice. It's also just a way to reflect because most of coaching and, you know, with coaching with John is ask him asking you questions and you self-discovering, right? So you'll go onto a call and you're talking about all these challenges that you have. And then the question is, well, you know, how do you solve it? And, and is that really the challenge? And is that part of the goal? Is that a rock? So I think a lot of it is really just forcing yourself to be accountable and, and self-discover as well as learn from others. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things that John Kitchens has lended to us is we've been coaching with John, oh my gosh, eight years and years and years, way before we got into EXP. And, you know, he brought a lot of structure and systems to our organization. Uh, he brought the morning call with the tell us something good and then the accountability, basically, because uh, accountability is so important in real estate uh, because it's it's easy to wake up and get out of bed and wonder what in the world are going to do that day because there's no one there telling you what to do. And what happens is, is you just kind of fumble through the day, if you will. And what we were finding is a lot of our agents were doing that. And so we got them onto coaching and we got them onto accountability more. If you were a brand new agent right now, starting into the business right now, what, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, I would say find a mentor, find an accountability group, find a team. I'm a strong believer of teams. I'm a team agent. In fact, I've always been a part of a team. From the very beginning so six weeks in the first six weeks let me just tell you a little bit about what that looked like for me i was the first one in the office i would stalk the, the producing agents and ask them questions and follow them and see what they were doing i took um a, one of those like boot camp type classes my first week license i signed up for this eight week boot camp and i was like oh my gosh so really it was the mentorship and the coaching from the very first day and that's what i would say as a new agent is that you're not going to know what you're doing and that's okay be okay with not knowing exactly what you're doing and the best script i'm a scripted person i mean i built my business on expires and for sale by owners but the best script i can teach you is i'm not 100 sure but let me find out and i'll get back to you so as a new agent i teach my agents that all the time don't answer a question that you're not 100 i use that i still use that script if they ask me something i'm not 100 sure let me find out and get right back to you so if you're a new agent i would say get around someone who's already done it who's willing to pour into you and has a value to bring you. And whether that's a team, an accountability group, a mentor, a, product, a productivity type coaching. Um, and I would say that the company that you join and the, the group that you join at, at whatever company you go to is, is so important because there's really a short timeline for most people that they can do this business before they have to go back to their other job or before they give up on it and they can't pay their dues again. So you kind of, you don't have a whole lot of time to really get it wrong. So I would say that in the beginning, make sure that you got it right. And if you didn't, make a change. Absolutely. And if you were to hear my story, I've made a lot of changes. I've been licensed seven years and I've been at, you know, a couple of different companies on a couple of different teams and I'm still constantly changing. So it's uh, the people you're around. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people, when they first started the business, they door knock, they uh, call 
what was your med, uh, method of getting your clients at the time? So I did join a team. So when I joined the team, I realized that I had to, when I started to really look at this business, there's so many different aspects. A real estate agent as a solo agent wears so many hats, right? So besides the fact that I've got to figure out how to find the business, then figure out how to convert them, how to get them a house or, you know, get the listing. Then I also have to figure out what to do with it once I get it and writing contracts and negotiating and all of that stuff. So for me, it was how would I just learn how to sell? How would I learn that language of sales and just get really good with people? And all that back end stuff, I'll figure that out later. I can't learn it all at once and I need to get hit the ground running. So I joined a team. And so the majority of my business my first year was team leads, open house leads. It was all I was a buyer's agent. I was not allowed to list. So on that team, you were only a buyer's agent. So if a listing came to me, then it, it, I had to pass it off, which is why I don't run my team that way, partly. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, it was all just learning how to convert. And I also, because I was so coached in the beginning, I didn't know bad habits. So I still talk about my first few years where you prospected in the morning. That's what you did. I didn't even think houses were open in the morning. Like you couldn't show them in the morning. You couldn't do closings in the morning or inspections in the morning because you couldn't. You had to prospect in the morning. And everybody role played. I role played every morning at 730. I had role play partners. Didn't everybody do that? I always had a buyer consultation. 100% of the buyers that I sold my first year, the 37 houses I sold in that first 11 months, all of them had signed a buyer agency agreement. All of them had sat down with me and done a buyer consultation because I was trained to do it that way. Didn't everyone do it that way? I didn't find out till later that everybody didn't do it that way. That's right. Like, you know, I learned that later. So I think that I was really blessed in the fact that I was so um, just ignorant to the bad habits that people had, you know. So i got to so, ask you that question. You know, you said you had buyer's rep signed on everything, the 37 deals you did. So if somebody didn't sign a buyer's rep with you, what would you do? I mean, did you show many houses? Did you wait till later to get it? No, started? I didn't because they had to hire me. Yeah, good And they always signed it. The only time they didn't sign it was when we weren't a match. And if we weren't a match, I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. That's a right? good indicator. But we sat yes. down. I knew their motivation. I knew what they were looking for. And my goal was, so I had taken this boot camp class. And my goal was to show them five or less houses. And I would actually tell them that in the consultation. You know, we're going to go through everything you're looking for now so that I don't have to take you into 100 houses. You're going to be eliminating hundreds of houses online. So let's make sure we're only going into contenders. And hey, guess what? Some 50% of the time, at least, the first house you go to see is the, is the one you're most excited about. So don't be shocked if that's the one you choose. In fact, they it. would then be like, wow, I can choose that first house. And they do all the time, right? So, and, and the thing is, it was true. They, that was the one they were the most excited about. But how many times do you hear people think like, oh, I got to think about it. I can't just make this rash decision. Mm-hmm. It wasn't rash because we were sitting down together to go through everything. And then when I took them out, we were really only going into contenders. Mm-hmm. And I was also getting their permission in advance that if the house didn't check the boxes, that I was going to question that. Right? So if you're telling me right now that you must have four bedrooms, Just know that if you send me a house with three, I'm going to ask you because I don't want to see you settle. I don't want to see you make a choice that isn't the right fit for you. Oh, and guess what? I don't want to take you to a house you're not going to buy either. I just left that part out. 
<laughs> That's true. Right? Because a lot of us, you know, we have we have had to uh, feel like we have to just put them in the car, run them around as fast as we can. And, and you hear of these agents that show 30, 40, 50 houses, and then they go to the next county over and buy with another agent. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you kind of hit the nail on the head with your buyer consult ahead of time. It's all, it's all proactive. Everything we do is being proactive. You know, we, it's the same process and they really appreciate you being a professional. They really appreciate you putting their needs first and asking them questions they didn't even think to ask themselves. Right. So when you ask those questions and you really, you become a partner with them. So there's never any pressure. I'm never trying to make, I'm trying to find out what's important to them so that I can help them find that. And that's what I think a lot of agents miss. They become door openers. And if you're a door opener, then then anyone can do it. That's it. That's it. I hear this all the time that agents are, they, these the buyers are just kind of running them around in circles. Again, especially in this latest market because the inventory has been so tight. So so you basically had a kind of a, a rule in your head that you're going to show five houses, just the contenders. And, uh, I mean, is that going to take two or three days or is, are you going to be able to knock it out in one day? It depends. That's something that I would say in the buyer consultation. Did it always happen perfectly? No. But what I was doing was I was setting up the precedent that we were only going to look when they were ready, right? So let's say that they're not ready for six months. Well, then I would ask them that question, right? So you're, I know that you're in a lease until, you know, till January. What happens if that perfect house hits the market now? If, would you move forward? Would you break the lease earlier? Would you buy it first? I, I want to know that because I want to make sure that I'm not taking you into a home and, and putting you in a position you don't want to be in. So I get that permission from them first. So if no, you cannot buy until January. Well, great. October, we're going to hit the ground running. We are going to be in there fast. We're going to find your home. Before that, you're in the research phase. Drive around neighborhoods. Look at the houses that I send you. Feel free to call me and we'll talk it out. But I don't want to break your heart by finding a house for you before you're ready. Absolutely. So now, not taking them out before they can buy. That's what I think a lot of agents do that. People aren't ready. They're, they just sell their house before they buy and it's not even listed yet. And they are showing them 40 houses that they would never win. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, especially in this market. It's, it's, it's incredible. Especially in this market. Especially in this market. So... Wow. I mean, that, that, is, that, that little nugget right there that you just shared is so important. If anybody is listening to this podcast today, if you will take that little bit of information and implement it in your business, basically the buyer consult, is it something you have them fill out? Do you meet them at the office? So, you know, in this market, we've gotten a little, a little more lax with it in a way. So now, so in 2015, when I got licensed, there were a lot of houses to see. So you really had to sit down and narrow them down. Now there's not a lot of houses to see. And sometimes they are having to make sacrifices. And the sacrifice may be that they didn't get the perfect house, or it may be that they're waiting longer than they wanted to. Right. So there's either way, every time you buy or sell a every time you buy a house, there's some sort of sacrifice that's gonna get made. So it's having that conversation. Um, in this newer market, we are doing at least a needs analysis over the phone. So that we do understand. And the most important thing to me is their motivation. I need to know their motivation. So if, and by asking specific questions, you can find that out. So if their lease is up in October and they don't want to rent anymore, they're highly motivated. I believe that we can, we can problem solve that. 
Now, if I talk to them and they maybe want to move because they might think their house is a little too small, but they're not really sure. And they might not even stay in Jersey. They might go to Texas. Well, like, okay, I've got to ask some more questions. I've got to dig deeper because someone like that, they could run me around for the next year because they don't really have a strong motivation. So let me ask you this. When you get the feeling that you're about to get run around, do you, what do you say to them? Just go, hey, I'm not going to show you. When you get ready, call me. No, it's, it's continuing to dig deeper, mm-hmm. right? So I know that you're not really sure and the house might be too small. Well, you know, do you want to sell it before you, like, first I want to find out, do they have to sell it first, right? Or when they tell me I want to be in a house by December, okay, great. Well, what, what happens if you don't find it before then? Are you okay where you are? Would you stay? So it's really, ha- it's putting them first always because mm-hmm. I do really want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for them. And I also don't want to make sure that we're not, no one's wasting any time. So it's, it's never that I give the advice and I don't work with buyers now, but it's never that I give the advice that, um, you know, tell someone you're not going to work with them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. figure out how we can help them. And if maybe that house is right for them and they shouldn't move right now, that's great. We'll just keep in touch. Absolutely. But it's really helping them the same way a coach helps us. Absolutely. You know, you just said the key thing. I don't work with buyers anymore. Wow. I tell agents when they start in this business also, it is, you keep doing the business. You get very good at it. Most agents do start with buyers because they have to have a paycheck. Mm -hmm. But then I I tell them, it's so worth it. When you get on the other side of this business and the people are calling you, you're doing listings. I cannot express to you as a new agent if you're just starting out or if you're an agent that maybe doesn't have a lot of systems in place. Once you get those systems in place, learn the business learn and work on your skill set, this business is so worth it. Uh, let me ask you this, Mary, would you do anything else besides real estate? Besides real estate? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I don't even know if there's another, there's nothing, I don't know what we could do that would exactly. be more fun and more profitable. I really couldn't figure it out. So I don't, I don't think so. It's out of the I question, actually. Exactly. Exactly. You know, some of the t- teachers make the best, best uh, real estate agents. Teachers do make the best real estate agents we find in our group as well. So, uh, so let's talk. Let's touch a little bit on the fact that you don't work with buyers anymore. You work now with listings. I mean, you've got to be good at listings. Do y'all have a lot of houses on the market right now there in your area? No, no, uh, we don't. But um, I only work. Well, really, I'm even. I'm even passing opportunity on to agents. What I really want to do is work with agents. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what I really want to do is I want to build agents and I know that I know how to be successful at this and I can show that and I can do that. So I don't have to work as much with buyers and sellers. Um, I haven't worked with buyers in years, actually. Um, so after my first three years, I pretty much gave up buyers. And and it wasn't because I didn't enjoy it. It was because I have a young family and I had to kind of choose how I was going to spend my time. And so I chose listings. But what I'll say about that is the skill set for listings is very different. It's very different than buyers. It's also, in so, some people don't even think it's as rewarding, right? Because when sellers are much, they're they're more demanding. There's a there's a different skill set. So now I do listings. Um, by next year at this time, I don't know that I'll really be doing that either. I'm I'm really weaning out of doing both of those because my team's pretty big now. We came to EXP. I was pretty much an agent on my own. Um, and now we have, I think we just hired our 15th agent to the team. And we have like a support staff and um, 
so I, I'm not on my own anymore. And I have agents I really trust that I could pass opportunity to, and I would love to help them grow. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what this is all about, is when you can help other agents grow your business. Uh, if you want to unpack a little bit, as John Kitchens would say, unpack it a little bit about what you do for the listing part of this. I mean, you said the skill sets are kind of different. Talk to us a little bit about that. How are you prospecting for your listings? So now I, I'm lucky that we do enough marketing. Our brand is strong enough that a lot comes to me. Uh, we still do market. We do um, mailers and branding. I have a large past client and referral database now. So a lot of it comes from that. But that wasn't always the case. Right. So 2015, I joined a team. 2017, I joined another team. I left all of the teams and I was on my own starting in 2018. Um, with each team, it was really very much a prospecting base. I got lucky because I had to learn how to prospect from the beginning. And I built my business first off expired listings. That's so exactly I how love. I built mine. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. That's exactly how I built mine. Uh, we actually mm -hmm. opened up a, a branch office one time, and we absolutely built the entire office on expired listings. I think that that is fabulous that you said that. Tell us a little bit about that, a little bit more. So um, expired listings were very competitive. And like, so 2016, 17 is when I really started calling them because my first couple of years, so 15, I got licensed. Uh, buyer's agent. So I didn't really prospect listings then. Um, probably like the, towards the end of 2016 was when I, the team structure had changed and I was now allowed to list uh, one of the partners split, whatever. So I was now allowed to list. So I didn't know where I was going to get these listings, but I wanted to learn. So I started calling expired listings and you had to call them by 830 in the morning if you wanted to call the new ones. Eight, well, really eight. People got on the phone at eight o'clock in the morning calling these people and they were angry. They didn't want to hear from you at eight o'clock in the morning and they just had their house on the market for six months and they didn't sell it and no one showed it. And now it's 8 a.m. on the first day of failure and we're all calling them trying to get their listing, right? So that's really, I had to get myself to understand them. And I think that's what I got so good at was that I was like, you know what? Of course they're angry. Like they had plans. They were going to sell it. Someone made them promises that they didn't follow through with. And that was a co-work, that was really a, Someone just like me made them all these promises and they don't trust me now. And now I have to build that trust back and show them how we can do things differently. So I just called them with an understanding mind, asked questions. I was very scripted. I did learn all the scripts and everything, but it really was about the person on the other end. So did you, write your, did you write your own scripts or did you use somebody's coaching scripts? And make them I use like the Mike Ferry, the Mike Ferry scripts. Yeah, Mike Ferry right? is something, so you know, Mike and Tom Ferry both, yeah. Mike and Tom Ferry, that's really much the same thing. It's a list of questions. Uh -huh. The real skill set is knowing the questions to ask and listening to the answers that are given. So that was what it was really about. You know, like I understand you're angry. I would be too. Let me just ask you if you could sell it now or if you were to sell it now, where, where would you be moving next? And then they would just start telling you and you just keep asking them the questions. And they're like, well, I plan to move to Florida but I'm just going to stay put. Awesome. And if I had a buyer that was willing to give you the price that you were asking right now, would you still sell it? So they would just keep asking, the, answering those questions. And before they knew it, they were maybe even getting a little excited about the prospect of doing it again. Mm -hmm. So that was really what my goal was. And, and also it's all in the follow-up. So maybe they wouldn't give me the appointment then, but if I could just make an impression on them, when I called them again, 
they would talk to me again. And so I would just follow up with them. And I kept them, you know, I didn't have all these fancy systems that I have now with drips and, you know, market up, updates and videos that I send now. Back then it was mojo. And I'd be like, all right, call this guy again in a week. Call this guy again in two days. Call this guy again. And it would just alert me and I would just call him. That was how I built it. And then expireds went away. They were gone. Everything was selling and there was no more expires. And all of the expires were either crazy or there was something totally wrong with the house because everything was selling. So I had to figure something else out. So I went to for sale by owners. Wow. And, to cut your teeth on for sale by owners, that's a different one. Tell us about uh, how that you was that. a different one, right? Because yeah. now expired listings, they're angry, but they put their house on the market and they hired an agent. Mm -hmm. A FISBO feels that agents are useless. They don't need us. They think they can do it on their own. So it was a different mindset for me that I had to one really truly believe that I would do a better job for them that they could do than they could do for themselves, that I really would be putting more money in their pocket than they could by themselves, and then just also asking the same questions really. And when you sell it, where do you plan to move? And how long will you try it on your own before you would consider, you know, interviewing a top agent in the area to help you? And if you were to interview an agent, what would you be looking for in that agent? Like, so it's just really asking those questions and hearing their answers. And then you know how to communicate with them. And then you follow up. <laughs> That's it. It's not, there's no magic pill. You know, I was reading some statistics the other day that said that to follow up, see, most agents, number one, will call once. A few will call twice, and then that's it. Agents hate rejection. I mean, face it, they hate rejection. And I think most people do. How many times would you normally have to follow up with these people? The statistics are seven to eight, seven to eight times before somebody does business with you. I think that's true. It might even be, I, some, are you read, I mean, statistics, who knows? There's so many, right? I heard 14 times, and I don't know. I would follow up with them until they either listed with someone else, sold on their own, or told me never to call them again, right? Like, so it was like those three things. And I would just follow up until they didn't want to. And the rejection part in the beginning. So my first ever call, I circle prospected before I was on a team. So I was probably like a couple of days licensed and I got my first open house. An agent was allowing me to do an open house for her. And I circle prospected the neighborhood and it was a 55 plus. And one of the older men answered the phone and he screamed at me. He was like, I'm sick and my wife broke and don't ever call again. And he hung up on me and I cried. <laughs> I cried and I was like, no one yells at kindergarten teachers. Like I just, I was gotta go back to do that. This is awful, I can't do this ever again. I left the office that day and later I thought, God, I don't even know who that guy was. Why did that upset me so much? And so I figured out how to separate myself from it, that they weren't rejecting me. They weren't angry at me they were angry at whatever happened to them in their situation or, you know, that guy was sick and his wife broke her hip and he was in a bad mood. Okay. That wasn't really about me. So I was able to remove myself from the rejection of it and realize that they weren't rejecting me personally. And now, gosh, they could say whatever they wanted to me. I just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it just doesn't matter. And if they're really horrible, then I'm just never going to call them again because I don't want to work with them either. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, so they say that, that, but agents do worry about the rejection too much because it's, it, they take, we just take it personal, We're, you know. People. Absolutely, absolutely. They're so scared of, of having that, that no or having somebody mm -hmm. be ugly to them. I think we've all had somebody be ugly to us on the phone, and it did curb it a little bit, I, I will admit. I remember my very first deal. I mean, you're like, when you're brand new, you would take any deal trying to get something sold. 
And in this area, I don't know if you had this. I mean, I'm fixing to date myself here. There used to be this thrifty nickel in the area. I mean, okay. and, and my, my broker just said, hey, just open this up and start calling on people. This guy had a piece of land. And he said, if I wanted a realtor, I would have picked up the phone and called you. That was his words to me. It crushed me. I mean, my spirit was crushed that day. And you're right. When you can get it put in perspective, and the thing about it is, is a lot of agents don't know when you actually have skills and you have the ability to negotiate, I actually, I don't know myself, I kind of feel sorry for them going into the market without somebody that's educated and that knows the market and knows what they're doing because there's so much money that's left on the table with a for sale owner. We mm-hmm. see it, or we there's have so much money left on the table with a with an inexperienced agent too. Exactly. You know, I watch agents all the time not take care of their clients, and that's another message that I have. Like, I you know, I, I understand that you have someone that you would work with that your cousin has their license and. Like you have to really be able to show your value proposition. And I just know in negotiating now with our own sales, Mm -hmm. I think all the time, gosh, like I'm glad that I was, I'm, I'm on the listing side. Like if I were on the buyer side, this definitely wouldn't have gone this way. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but I, I out negotiate them always. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And do it with a smile and they still like me in the end. That's true. That's true. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit. I mean, I'm switching gears a little bit. You know, when I met you, oh, I forgot what, it was last year at Kitchen Table. The market was smoking hot, and it's still hot in our area. I'm not sure how it is in your area, but that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about. You guys were having open houses or having your first house uh, come on the market, and there were people wrapped around the block to see it a little bit Mm -hmm. now kind of what your market looks like still really strong Mm -hmm. it is but you really there's not as much room for error you have to price it right and buyers are tired right back then last year back then it sounds like so long ago and it wasn't last year the interest rates were so low that you could even talk to the buyers that the interest rates are low i know you're in a multiple offer but you know, you want to take advantage of the rates. Well, that's gone now because there's no rates to take advantage of. And also sellers weren't as conditioned that this was a hot market and that everything was going to have 10, 15, 40 offers and they were going to sell it way over asking and they weren't even going to sweep their floor, right? That was like their conditioning. And so now we have to talk to them about the fact that that was a dream and it is over. And so we still have a really hard, hot market. We still have very low inventory. We still have more buyers than we do sellers. But if you don't price it right and you don't stage it properly and make sure that it's presented in the best light, you will lose money and possibly not sell it. And we will be having a price reduction conversation. And that wasn't the case last year. Um, so it's still, I mean, our houses are still selling in a weekend. Nothing sits, but we also know how to have the conversation up front to show them the data to, to help educate our sellers to do the right thing the first time. And, and then we sell it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think it's about having that conversation, being up front and showing the data, you know, data doesn't lie. The data, the numbers, they don't lie. And I know that a lot of people have gotten a lot of over list price. Are you still finding that your offers are going over list price? So yeah, so they will still go over list price, but not like they were. Mm -hmm. So now that's even the conversation as well, where yes, I realized that your neighbor six months ago got $100,000 over asking. 
well, now we can price your house $75,000 higher than they did back then. And maybe we'll get a 10,000 over, but we're not getting a hundred thousand dollars over. Like they priced it at 500, they got 600. Great. Your house is similar. We can maybe price it at 575 or 600, mm -hmm. but expect to get around there. Absolutely. You know, maybe you're getting a little bit higher. So that's kind of the conversation where, no, it's, I mean, we did just sell one last week, a hundred thousand over. So it's, it's, oh. it's still happening. Yeah. It is definitely still happening. It's not happening always. And we're not getting the lines at the open houses like we were. We still have very steady, busy open houses, but they're not wrapping around the block. And the other thing I'm noticing is buyers aren't removing every single contingency like they were, mm -hmm. right? They're not accepting it completely as is and covering the entire appraisal and taking care of the certificate of occupancy and just begging for the house. Buyers have a little more leverage now. Absolutely. Which is Absolutely. great for my agents because they can win. Are you actually seeing more property on the market right now than you did last year? The inventory is higher. It's still okay. low, but yes, yes, there's actually actives. Last year, I when I sat down with a seller, there was never any active comparables to talk about. Hmm. Right. If anything, there was like a coming soon or there was one that was already sitting in multiple offers, but there wasn't like, it was very rare that I'd be like, oh, these four houses just like yours are on the market. And a buyer who looks at your house will also look at these. It was like, well, there's nothing on the market, so you're going to be by yourself. So let's just figure out a price that would make sense and we'll drive it way up. Um, now, there will be something on the market. There'll be some other things for buyers to look at. And um, so the inventory, although it's still ultimately low, it's it's not non-existent like it was last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, we just came out of, and we're still in a pretty rocking market right now. I mean, we're still doing a lot of business, um, but probably not to the tune of what we did last year. I mean, it was a little bit of a more of a frenzy, as you can say. It's a little bit more of a slower moving market uh, compared to last year. Um, so tell us a little bit, after coming out of a market like that, I know in our last team meeting, I think some of our agents were relieved that the market has starting to stabilize a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about how you are, are managing your life balance uh, with real estate because you do have two small children yeah. and a husband. I do. So it has, the frenzy's gone a little bit where we, you don't have to, the agents don't have to run out the door the day that it's on the market to sell, you know, to sell the house like it was last year. They still have to be pretty quick. Um, a lot of buyers though have opted out. So a lot of buyers have decided not to buy right now, which is a little discouraging for some of our agents too, because they may have had someone they were excited about who's now tried, decided to, to sit it out for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the way I always manage it is the way we talked about before about being proactive is that you can handle every single objection and every single issue up front. And if you do that, then you, you control your day, you control your transaction, you control your clients, and they're happy for it. So if you let them know up front, you're never going to miss out on a house if you work with me. The second it hits the market, I'm going to be watching it as much as you're watching it. And we're going to get in there and you'll never lose one. I do want to let you know, though, that I have to shut my phone off after a certain amount of time just so I can be the best agent for you during the day. So I'm likely, if unless it's an absolute emergency, which it probably won't be you know, in real estate, I'm likely not going to get back to you after 8 p.m., but I'm going to get back to you first thing in the morning. And we're going to talk about it or, or however it is that you decide to set up your day. But when you have that conversation up front and then you stick to your standards, that's how you manage your own day. And they don't expect you 
to, if you start answering the phone at 7 a.m. and 10 p.m., well, then on the day that you don't want to do that, they're annoyed with you. But if you had told them up front that you were never going to do that, then they don't expect you to. And it's logical that you don't have to, right? So it's all, it's all in setting expectations in advance. And even with my sellers now, we always list our properties on Thursdays. Why? Because I want to make sure we get through that first weekend. I want to make sure that I find the buyer that wants their house the most, that's willing to give them the most money for it, that's willing to be the best buyer for them. And I'm going to need that weekend to do that. Now, let's just let the weekend happen. We're going to list it on Thursday. We're going to have open houses on Saturday and on Sunday. And this, this strategy could change as the market changes, but we haven't had to change it yet. But as we have that weekend happen, we're going to ask all of them to give us their best offers on Monday. And hey, it may only be one offer, but we're going to let them know in advance that you're going to be reviewing offers on Monday. When I tell them that, they expect already that there's going to be multiple offers. They expect, and they don't expect a response before then. So I set it all up with the agents, with their buyers, and with my sellers in advance. And I let them know that on, on Monday, we're going to be speaking. Monday at 2, we're going to look at what we have, and we're either going to be talking offers or talking strategy. Right? So it's either a strategy session or it's an offer conversation on Monday at 2. And if I have something urgent to tell you, or if you just can't wait and you want to send me a text message, go ahead. But really nothing's going to change. We're going to get through those open houses and we're going to talk Monday at two. So what does that mean? They're not reaching out to me all weekend. Because I already set that schedule with them that they're going to talk to me on Monday. And I truly believe, Cindy, that that's best for them. Because how many times did you get a great offer on Friday that came up $30,000 by Monday? You better believe they do. Absolutely, they do. <laughs> and I think a lot of agents ask you to present it ahead of time. We're going to make this offer. We want we want a, a response within 24 hours. Uh, that doesn't really exactly work anymore. You know, they hold the offers until Monday at 2. Absolutely. And we were doing that from the beginning before it was even acceptable. Like, it would get you know, agents mad. Like before everyone expected that we were doing that since 20, we've been doing that since early 2020, but it says it in the agent remarks. It says it in our showing time and we always respond to them. But even in our agent remarks, it says all offers will be presented and responded to on Monday. So let's talk about this. You know, when you say you're getting ready for you list your everything on Thursdays, what, I mean, what exactly are you doing? Are you doing video, obviously photos for the MLS? posting on what, I mean, what websites are you posting? What do Social you media, our um, MLS, we can do coming soon on our MLS. I don't know if you have that there. Some don't. Yeah. 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 They, they, yeah so we, have, we, we are, are able to do soon. 24 hours ahead of time actually, but I don't think our, it's on an actual feature on MLS. We do it through social media. We can do it three weeks ahead of time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Talk so about we can it. say coming soon for three weeks. So that's nice. what we do. So we let everybody know when it's coming. And the second we put it up as coming soon, we already have the open houses scheduled and we already let them know when the seller is going to be reviewing offers. So that's all in our listing from the very beginning. So it's all proactive. It's all preparation in advance. Mm -hmm. So every, if you talk to me about anything, there's always some system around it mm -hmm. to make it happen the way that I want it to happen, right? So we prepare it all in advance and we make sure that you know, it's just, it's just proactive and it's just the best way I think to do it. And as soon as a system doesn't work or something changes, we're creating a new system. I love it. I love everything it. Everything looks the same. Templates for everything. Everything is consistent. Very systematic. So let me ask you, you know, the big, the big thing in the last few years in real estate, we're back to real estate agents that we're talking about is video. Are you doing very much video? 
Yeah, we do a ton of video. So we actually do video messaging. I do Facebook lives. Um, I don't, I do a ton of podcasts like this that I love, but with our clients, yes, we do video. Um, as a lead comes in our agents, we have a, a lead conversion honor code that they actually sign when they join our team on how they are going to follow up with a lead. So when a lead comes in, they call them first, they have to call within the first five minutes. After that, if they don't get a hold of them, they're sending a video message. So a video text, hey, it's Mary from the Murphy Group. Saw that you were interested in 123 Main Street. I would love to show that to you. And I have time this afternoon or tomorrow if that's better for you. Let me know what works and we can hop on a call and get that set up. I that video is going out. Love and then we send video throughout. So when they go under contract, you know, we talk about the different forms of communication, right? So 7% only is words. So when you use a text message, you're only actually talking to someone with 7% of, of all of communication. And then it's, what is it? 93%. So 7% is words. And then it's like 40% is tonality. And then there's like a whole other big percentage that is body language. With video, we actually can capture all of it. Mm -hmm. We can give them our facial, facial expressions and body language. We can use our tonality and we can use our words. Can't do that with a text message and an email, guys. I love it. So that's the way, so video, yes, all the time. And my agents go live in houses, they're live showing houses. I mean, we are, you got to be comfortable with video to be on this team. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I know a lot of people have embraced video and I know there's a few that's uh, kind of fearful still to get behind the camera. Are you doing very many short form videos as far as TikTok and Reels right now? So personally, I'm not, but I have agents that, on my team that do it and they do a great job. Um, I haven't figured out the reels and like mm -hmm. all the boomerangs. All, I, you know, I'm not really tech savvy, so I haven't embraced it or TikTok, but I probably should. Yeah. Yeah. How about community video? Are you doing much community? So no. And I see that you do it. I know that you do. And I love it. And it's on my list. You know how we all have those lists yeah. and it's, but yes, I personally don't do enough of that. My agents do a little bit. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Very good. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have sat down and talked with you today. You have shared so much great information, uh, and you have so much knowledge uh, about the business and growing a team. You've shared some great nuggets today with us. Again, a little bit at the ending here, what, what little bit of advice would you leave to a new agent today or one that's trying to kick their new, business off? A new agent, someone who's in a rut a little bit or – you know, it's, it's really all about people. It's all about the people that you're surrounded by. And if, if the people you're surrounded by are talking doom and gloom about the change in this market and the rise in interest rates or unmotivated buyers, if that's the conversations that you're having, you're in the wrong room, right? You should be in a room where we're talking about positive positivity, changing strategies and, and how we're going to help more people and, and what we're doing differently and what technology we're using and what we're using, all of those things that's how you grow and 100 everything that i know i learned from someone i learned from a book i learned from a podcast i learned from people like you cindy like i because i'm strategically in those rooms so if you're a new agent or you're an agent that's just not feeling fired up or motivated change your environment i'm I, that's it's all about your environment that's it i love it i love it i love it love it love it thank you so much mary for being part of our podcast today I love all your stuff that you unpacked for us today, and I am so glad for you guys to tune in today. And, you know, we will love to have you come back sometime with us and share some more information. Thank you. 
Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you guys for joining us today for our podcast. Have a great day and have a great week.